0: Welcome, everyone.
1: Morning. Good, morning.
0: good morning. Good morning. Everybody have a good Sunday? Fantastic. Yeah. With the body of Christ, excellent, excellent. Great. Today we are jumping into our subject, uh, which we promised people we would do, we're gonna be looking at the subject of heaven. Um, I would venture to guess that most people's uh, people of faith today believe um, that our nation, our society is tilting in the direction of secularism. What is secularism? What do we mean when we say that?
2: Well, I was gonna say the lie, but uh no, it's the <laughs> well it is. It's the uh it's the lie that there's a there's a two-story reality there is. you know, the uh the real world, which is facts and material and uh non-religious bias you know no, no religious bias um so there's and,
0: no accounting of spirits souls yeah. angels uh, demons and God. then there's
2: an upper story that things are relegated to that would the discussion would be like that that's in another that's realm but it spiritual. has no it has no bearing on the public discourse right yeah the way that we fashion society right
1: right yeah. the, i think that's a good answer i think that's like you're coming at it from a philosophical standpoint my mind immediately went to like more of a spiritual standpoint of just worship of the gods of this world, whether yeah. consciously or unconsciously, where yeah. you're not embracing uh, the things of God um, or His Word, and therefore you are at the behest of the other gods. Yeah, right on. Mm-hmm. Lowercase g. I, I would Demonic just say, uh,
0: in, a, in, in a sentence or in a statement, secularism is that belief that there is no God, no supernatural, nothing spiritual. It is a purely materialistic view of the world, a physical world only. Secularism is often used in philosophical literature uh, as a synonym for naturalism, uh, or philosophical naturalism, or materialism. Uh, It's just a view that there is the material world. That's all that really matters. And as Daniel was saying, that lower story is the story. That's the story, right? So uh, while there's growing, uh, growing sense that our nation is moving in the direction of secularism. I would say generally that that is true. Um, it's also true that people have a deep hunger for the supernatural. They have a deep mm-hmm. hunger for all things spiritual. How do we know this? Well, because it's pervasive in all of our literature, our movies, our entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, I just mm-hmm. saw a show. What <clears> is the name of the show? It's called Lucifer. Have you seen this? I haven't watched this show, but it's about, no. well, it's about this character named Lucifer who is like Satan, but who's now in corporeal form and apparently uh, roaming around the world and mm. falling in love with chicks and getting lots of hot chicks and, and things like that. And so I, I saw the preview or the trailer for that show and I thought, holy smokes. And it's pretty popular. Like people, people are very interested in something other than the material world. And so yeah. it's a weird mm-hmm. kind of tension mm-hmm. or dichotomy that we live in, uh, in our society, in our culture. So all our, our, our books, movies, TV shows, it seems that there is an obsession with spirituality. Uh, most cultures in the world have developed some kind of spiritual doctrine. I mean, most cultures do have some idea, in particular, of heaven or the afterlife. Uh, from the Alaskan Eskimo to Peru, from Asia to the aboriginals of Australia, heaven, it seems, is a concept universally held by humanity." Um, So we're going to be looking at that doctrine today from a biblical point of view. I'll bring this up. The Pew Research Forum, and you can look that up on the web, the Pew Research Forum uh, noted that while fewer and fewer people in our so-called secular society are attending church as a sacred institution, more and more people are beginning to identify themselves as spiritual. That's very Mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, Particularly the subject of heaven and the afterlife uh, is an interest to people in our society. When surveyed and asked, do you think you will go to heaven when you die, 72% of people said sure.
3: Super (laughs)
1: confident. Jeff, is that differentiated from the I've heard the category that they would say spiritual but not religious, or is that the same? Spiritual
0: and not religious, they're called the nuns, or spiritual and unaffiliated, that sort of thing. So people Mm -hmm. are trying to um, disentangle from any kind of organized religious sect, Hmm. or a cult, or a movement, or anything like that. Yeah, and don't put a label on me. Yeah, don't don't put your label on me, that sort of thing. And so most people do think, yeah, I think I'm probably good enough to go to heaven, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, how good do you have to be? Well, how bad do you have to be to stay out? This is the kind of thing that, these are the kinds of things that people think about. Uh, so today we're going to explore this subject. However, um, where do we find our source material for what we think about heaven? What tells us what the afterlife is really like? And what what we should think about it. Mm. And I'm going to submit that that's the Bible. Why should we trust the Bible? So I'm just gonna spend a few minutes here getting your thoughts on the Bible. Uh, First of all, uh, the Bible is the most unique book ever written in the history of the world.
1: Mm.
0: By far and away, there is nothing, there is not even a close second. Consider these facts. You have 66 different books within the one book. Those 66 different books are written by 40 different authors. They're written in three ancient languages. Can you name the ancient languages, by the way?
2: Hebrew, Hebrew Greek, and Aramaic. Yeah,
0: Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. Uh, over a time span of 1,500 years, it was written on three separate continents. Do you know the continents? Asia.
1: Mm. Asia Minor. Asia Minor.
2: <laughs> Europe, Europe, yeah. and Africa.
4: Africa.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, written over on three separate continents, it is filled with every kind of literary genre or type of literature, every kind of rhetorical device, and yet the book apparently has one message, one thread that is running from Genesis all the way to the last mm-hmm. book, which is the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that God would redeem His fallen world by sending His one and only Son. Mm. And so, so that's sort of, as soon as creation goes into fall through Adam and Eve's sin, God sets into motion a plan to redeem mm-hmm. the man and the woman and their progeny, and also the world. And so that is the theme of the book. Um, the Bible is also internally coherent. Now you would think that a forged book, or a book, let me put it this way, you you would think that a book forged in such diversity would have a thousand different messages, right? Mm-hmm. And for sure, the Bible does treat yeah. a lot of different subjects, yeah. but they all seem to circle back to that one message, right? Uh, are you saved? Mm-hmm. Or are you not saved? <clears throat> um, and so you would think that. Uh, but just the opposite is true. God wants to save his fallen world, beginning with those who bear his image, mankind. And the Bible, so the Bible is internally coherent. Its own message uh, is coherent with itself. It's kind of a miracle. The Bible is also externally corroborated. Its historical facts, where it can be tested, or verified by ext- external witnesses, such as archaeology and ancient literature. And the Bible is trustworthy. It exists in about 6,000 different manuscripts, Right, so copies. All we have is all we have are copies. Uh, original language copies. You can compare the oldest copy of the Old Testament, which is what? The oldest complete copy.
2: Is that the Dead Sea Scrolls? Yeah,
0: it's a trick question. There are older copies, but the oldest complete copy is the Dead Sea Scrolls, written about 200 BC, somewhere in there. You can compare that with the latest handwritten copy of the Old Testament, which is. I know you know this one.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I've them. I feel uh, like I'm in Awana doing Quiz Bowl again. <laughs> quiz Bowl. Oh, we're going here. Sword drills. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's the Masoretic
3: text of a um, thousand. Oh yeah, 18, uh, right? Masoretic right. yeah. Masoretic text. Yes. So the Masora.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Masora. <laughs> so now that is 1,200 years. Think about this: 200 years before Jesus is even born. <clears throat> And then copying the Old Testament Mm. for a 1,000 years after Jesus is born, that is 1,200 years of copying the Old Testament. And if you compare the earliest copy, the Dead Sea, with the uh, Messorah, they are statistically identical, which means the copying Mm. is really good. We have a paper trail. We can see just how good it is. You can do the same thing with the New Testament. So you can compare the earliest completed copy of Matthew right hmm. so you take a second century kind of sort of mid 100s there copy of matthew and you compare it with a lectionary written in <clears throat> uh the 1600 or the 1500s you've got 1300 yeah. years of copying it so you can compare the the earliest with the oldest and show yeah. that the oldest has not picked up any new and
3: oldest is handwritten, so this is pre-printing press, so right? We're talking That's the manuscripts, line of the
0: yeah. right, mm-hmm. before the Gutenberg's printing press. So this claim that the Bible has somehow been corrupted, or mm-hmm. listen, we have a paper trail that goes all the way back to the early second century. We can show we can demonstrate that that claim is just false. Hmm. It's false on its face there's no evidence to substantiate it.
2: We have a better paper trail on the Bible than on like mm-hmm. Iliad and Puppets. Odyssey. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, scholar Dan Wallace has Which said you're never questioned. <laughs> if you're going to call into question the New Testament for example, you know, the veracity of the New Testament, you would have to be a thousand times more skeptical skeptical about every work of antiquity, Mm -hmm. so that includes the works of historian Josephus, Vespasian's commentaries, you name it, you Mm -hmm. pick any ancient book, Herodotus, Thucydides, and you would have to be a thousand times more skeptical of every other ancient historian if you're going to be doubtful about the um, Mm. sort of reliability or trustworthiness of the documents of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I think that's pretty good. So the Bible's trustworthy, and I think we also would say the Bible's inspired. Um, I think, what what do we mean when we say the Bible's inspired?
2: Breathed out by God through human authors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so
0: that's kind of a metaphor. What does that mean, though?
2: So it's, well, it's a very human document. Every author was undertaking to write something, write write each book with a purpose. They they had a goal. Um, So you got Matthew and Paul and Mark. mm -hmm. But we believe that the Holy Spirit carried those people along, inspired them to write it, inspired the words that were included, uh, the stories that were included, the stories that weren't included. um, Such that all the words that we have are the words that God wants us to
3: have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Which then carries with it the authority that the Bible does, in our view. Right. Not the magisterium as the Roman Catholic Church would have, which would be the Pope or whatnot, but we look at purely Scripture as the main source of authority. Yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, So the apostles have left their teaching in the Scriptures. The prophets, the Old Testament prophets, have left their teaching in the Scriptures. And so when Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired— That just means that it comes from the mind of God. It has been Mm -hmm. given to the minds of men, and it comes through their hands as the product of revelation or the product of God's revelation. Um, I think we could say, based on its internal coherence, its external validation, on its trustworthiness as a document, on the miracle of the fact that it's born or forged of such diversity and just seems to have one message, yeah. one relentless message. I think that's we could say it is inspired. Yeah. There just is no other book
2: like it. And the content of that message it has nothing it has some to do, and we're gonna talk about that today with the exaltation of humanity too, Right. like but it's not a it's not what you would expect a a book that was authored by humans uh to to really say. Right. You'd expect the glorification of humanity and, sure. where, you know, and, and here's how you get your best life now kind of stuff. And <laughs> the message that Ryan preached yesterday is no, you guys are really terrible. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Yeah. This is not a, it's not a, uh, you know, self aggrandizing sure, yeah. uh, content. It's
0: mm-hmm. not about finding God in yourself. It's about finding God yeah. so that he can save you from yourself and save you from his wrath, as we heard yesterday, which is a fantastic message. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, you're exactly right about that. So since we can trust the Bible, let's look at what the Bible has to say Mm -hmm. about this subject of where people go, you know, what happens to us when we die. Um, So what does the Bible say about heaven? We often talk about dying and going to heaven, Mm -hmm. and our viewers or listeners may be shocked to discover that that phrase is not in the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's nowhere in the Bible. Uh, so we often talk about dying and going to heaven, but the New Testament in particular's focus when it comes to heaven is very weighted in another direction, and that typically is heaven coming out of heaven and populating the world, that is to say uh the the mm. inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven right yeah, yeah. so just looking at a few of these things the first thing we notice in Matthew's gospel is that heaven is the kingdom of god right so in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 it says uh, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near in other mm. words the kingdom of heaven is not off somewhere it's not out in space somewhere the kingdom of heaven has broken into the mm. world in the reigning grace of jesus and so Jesus is announcing the gospel that the kingdom of heaven has come. Mm. Uh, now, we know that the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God because look at what Mark says, Mark one fifteen, 15, uh, which are, is a parallel book to the book of Matthew. Uh, he says, uh, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. So what's mm-hmm. the difference there? It's the same passage, it's the same saying.
1: Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven.
0: Yeah, yeah. so what do yeah. you note between Matthew
1: and Mark? that those ideas are interchangeable. They're interchangeable. The, yeah. Yeah, the idea of the presence of God manifested in Jesus Christ has now come and broken. That's right.
2: and, Yeah. So if you get a YouTube prophet trying to make a distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven... A YouTube prophet? Who Who? are, who <laughs> are you oh, oh, referring to? I've heard, I've, heard, I've heard all kinds of oh, crazy... Oh, okay. Check all out right. Daniel's <laughs> private <laughs> channel. Oh. Daniel's... <laughs> pro- <laughs> <laughs> but prophet... Play- list, somebody starts to say, oh, no, no, you're living... That no, that's the king. You're you're operating in the kingdom of heaven. God wants you to operate in the kingdom of God. Or no, you operate in the kingdom of heaven. He operates in the kingdom of God. Like what? If you're trying to bifurcate those (laughs) two, those, or you hear somebody trying to do that, which I've heard, really, it's not. Yeah, it's not. Well, Mm -hmm. that's absurd.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. That is a fundamental (laughs) (laughs) misunderstanding. Of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, uh, all the, not all, but many of the passages in the book of Matthew that refer to the kingdom of heaven, like the one I just read you, they're the same, they're the same incident, mm-hmm. right? Jesus is saying the yeah. same thing, Mark records yeah. it as the kingdom of God, Matthew records it as the kingdom of heaven, the two terms, the phrases are interchangeable. Why does Matthew use kingdom of heaven most often, and Mark uses the kingdom of God right. most often? Why does Matthew call it heaven?
3: Well, doesn't Matthew made up of a lot of <laughs> themes? So there's a lot of thematic nuances that yeah. Matthew wants to repeat again and again. Yeah. And so kingdom of heaven, uh, there has to be a theme. So that's, I mean, that, that's yeah. what you're getting at, so I don't know ultimately what theme is he trying to the,
0: reveal. The theme is is that he's primarily writing to Jews, Mark mm-hmm. is primarily writing to Greeks. Okay. Greeks mm-hmm. have no problem whatsoever using the name of God the word theos, which is the Greek word for God, they, they have no problem using that word all over the place. Jews are much more reserved about that. Yeah. like So you'll find the phrase kingdom of God in the book of Matthew, but you're most often going to find kingdom of heaven because it would just be, for a Jew, it would be more reverent. Mm-hmm. For a first century Jew, it would just be more yeah. reverent to leave the word God out of it and, and replace yeah. it with heaven. And so that's how we know then, that the two phrases are interchangeable when matthew says the kingdom of heaven he means the kingdom of god because
2: because his audience is primarily jewish
0: yeah that's right yeah. that's right mm-hmm. primarily jewish so uh but we also we know the kingdom uh, of god is the kingdom of heaven we also know the kingdom of heaven has come near as we read just read it has arrived matthew 6 9 uh look at what jesus tells the disciples to pray he says our father in heaven mm-hmm. your name is holy hallowed be thy name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does Jesus want the disciples to pray about the kingdom of heaven?
3: That it comes down.
0: Yeah. That it arrives. That it yeah. arrives. <clears throat> so he's not telling them, pray that when you die, you'll go to heaven. He's saying, pray that the kingdom mm-hmm. of heaven will break into this world and uh, mm-hmm. set, it, set itself up right in the middle of this chaos, right in the middle, mm-hmm. as you were preaching yesterday, uh, of this mess that we find ourselves in because we need we need the reigning grace of god yeah. um and so the kingdom of heaven ha- has already arrived and jesus prays for uh, tells us to pray that it will come matthew 13 31 notice jesus gives a series of parables there about the mm-hmm. kingdom and he keeps saying things like well the kingdom is like mm-hmm. the kingdom is like this well what right. does he say it's like notice what he says he says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed
1: yeah.
0: that a man took and sowed in a field. Well, what do you know about a mustard seed?
1: It's small. small. It's teeny.
0: small. You plant it, and what happens? It, real big. it grows into this mighty <clears throat> tree. Eventually, it becomes this mighty tree, and then Jesus says, what happens to all the, the birds and the animals? They come, and they perch in it, and they mm-hmm. make their home in it right so the whole idea here is that we're starting small it's going to grow into something mighty and powerful and massive and pervasive and all the nations of the world are going to come and call it home right so that's kind of how he describes the kingdom of heaven here Mm -hmm. uh he also says the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took and mixed it into 50 pounds of flour then what happened it's like leaven
2: Works itself through the, the whole deal. It affects, the whole batch. Affects the whole thing. It affects the whole
0: batch. So mm-hmm. there, again, that's kind of an idea of the kingdom of heaven. Spreads. Yeah, yeah it's like this <clears> thing, <throat> thing that eventually it's going to work itself through cultures and societies and and bringing them <laughs> into... Jesus is the one that said it, right? <laughs> uh, look at the next one. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. So it's worth the expense of your entire, whatever it costs you to to get this treasure that is hidden in this field, mm. you, should, you should pay it, mm. <laughs> whatever yeah. it costs you. And mm. then he says, it's like a large net thrown into the sea. And what does the net do? Brings in all kinds of fish. It brings in all kinds of fish. It hauls mm-hmm. them all in. So the kingdom of God is this evangelistic, outgoing, powerful movement that goes into the world eventually grows into every culture and mm. then brings, like a net brings all the fish onto the boat or onto the shore or onto the pier. Mm-hmm. And so and so, this is a very different way of thinking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We don't tend to think about the kingdom of heaven like that. Mm. We tend to think about it as this sort of uh, ethereal place where yeah. we where we go when we die, right? That yeah. may not be wrong, but here Jesus wants to define it mm-hmm. In terms of its in breaking into the world. Yeah. Again, any
2: comments or any Ryan was talking about this yesterday mm-hmm. where some some of what we would consider the mundane things of of life. There's mm-hmm. actually how God is leavening the you know, it's the oh, yeah. it's the leaven yeah. spreading and we don't see it in this instantane you know, you don't put leaven in bread and it's in it instantly rises. Yeah. Right. There's mm-hmm. this this period of time and so you make the investment of having a good marriage. You make the investment mm. of right. discipling your children. You make the investment of of loving your bit- neighbor, loving sure. your neighbor, starting a business, evangelizing. The Lord. Like you do that, and and all of a sudden it, it goes out. It's it's not necessarily in these huge fell swoops. Those come sometimes, mm. right? right? Yeah, a yeah. lot of times it's just that pattern of, of steady growth. Well, I think yeah. what
3: you're describing is heaven is not a pure thing that we have to wait for because of its inbreaking into this world. Heaven. Mm is a constant now yeah. that we get to experience in our I- earthly body. It's right. still in a fallen state. We just get to experience a perfected sense of it. And we'll talk about that later, but I think there's a hopeful expectations all believers should have. Yeah. I should glimpse heaven today. There, there, are, there are elements of heaven yeah, that I should... realities that we get to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. absolutely. Great, great yeah. insight. Great
0: insight. Uh, well, well, let's look at Romans 5.21, if you will. Um, now a couple other passages in Romans 14, seven, 7, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, partying, right? The kingdom of God is a matter of peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 14, 20, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, right? It's not, it's not a matter of shooting off your mouth. It's a matter of power. Hmm. Kingdom of God changes everywhere it touches wherever it goes. In Romans 5:21, now with that in mind, Romans 5:21, <clears throat> he says the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that uh, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here we get this idea oh of the contrast between the reign of sin and death, and the reign of grace and life. And I think when we talk about the kingdom of God, we are obviously talking about the ruling domain, right? The domain, the king's domain, that's what we mean. But here, Paul seems to want to focus on God's ruling domain being in the heart. And God's ruling domain being in the individual, replacing Mm. their death with life, replacing their sin with this grace, right? Um, This reigning grace in their life through righteousness. Uh, And so here I think the kingdom of God has come to every believer. The kingdom of God is wherever the church is gathered, wherever, wherever the church scatters into the world and brings the reigning grace of God. Mm -hmm. And this is why I call the Roman series uh, The Reign of Grace, Mm -hmm. because that's what I think it's about. I think this is literally the fulcrum of the book, and what Paul is trying to say there is that this is our choice. It's between death and life. It's mm -hmm. between the reign of sin in your life and the reign of God's grace, His good, benevolent, gracious act to save you. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are your thoughts on that?
4: James? (laughs) James? Well, it's like we've said often on this podcast over the last while. You know, the king kingdom has come. Yeah. The kingdom is coming. So, kiss the king. Mm, uh, right, that's the message of the gospel. Right? That's right. Um, he offers forgiveness and salvation. Um, and and there is a real sense in which the kingdom is here. Yeah. And we need to understand that. Uh, I think as we're discussing, we, we too often yep. think, "Oh, the kingdom's it's out there. It's it's not here yet." But right. there is an aspect of the kingdom now. We live in the already, but the not yet. <laughs> yeah. And that's an important thing that we need to understand.
0: Well, I think that's very important. We live in the already, but not yet. Mm-hmm. We, when the seed has been planted. It is growing. Right. What is happening... You know, we tend to think of eternal life as when I die and go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Sure. But eternal life is actually started now. We also tend to think of resurrection life as sometime at the end of the age. We'll read some of the passages that seem to say that too. But actually, the New Testament also talks about being a partaker of resurrection life now. It's as if the resurrection has already started spiritually.
3: Does does partaking of that life, shouldn't it also include going back to Matthew 6, that we pray that the kingdom come now? So we are the agents of bringing heaven to a greater degree of um, uh, recognition here on the earth now? So we are partaking of it, but we're also expanding it. We are agents in
2: carrying heaven's breaking into this world.
0: That's exactly right. We're going to get to that. Okay. I don't
2: want to steal our thunder. But you're talking there. about everlasting, the concept of eternal life, yeah. or, or resurrection life is a quali- like there's a qualitative concept to it. Yeah, that we right, have, that's right. that we have access to now. It's not just the quantity of. You know, that's no, such I mean, a good river. point, Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. Every time we talk about
4: walking by the spirit, that's resurrection life, mm-hmm. right? That's the dead has life. been brought to life and we need to understand the miracle of regeneration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right.
0: So. that's right. We are We are raised to life spiritually already because we have, as we're going to read, we have passed from death to life. Mm-hmm. So the only way you can pass from death to life is if you've been renewed, regenerated, mm-hmm. born again, and you receive the life of the Holy Spirit in grace. Uh, Great points, guys. Yeah, uh, but uh, we tend to think of everlasting life, that sort of thing, as just um, from this moment on, I'll never die, right? I'll always be with Jesus. But but as Daniel was pointing out, it also is a quality of life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the God quality of life. Mm -hmm. And the God quality Mm -hmm. of life, yes, it's eternal, but eternal also means that it is being brought into the life of God. And so the New Testament uses this language as well is that we have been brought into his, we have become partakers of his life i'm not full, fully endorse, endorsing endorsing apotheosis uh, apotheosis <laughs> but we could talk about that later um so colossians 1:13 says he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son so right now we've already Been inducted we've already come into the kingdom of his son being transferred out of the realm of darkness Mm -hmm. uh, which the world just kind of lives in Um, Ephesians 1 20 through 22 big big passage here Paul writes to his Ephesian friends and he says this he says he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at uh, his God's right hand in the heavens "...far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet, and appointed him, that is Jesus, as head, the chief, the supreme, over everything..." For the sake of the church think about that passage so we're thinking of well the kingdom of heaven is out there someday we're going to die we're going to go off to the kingdom of heaven nope kingdom of heaven has broken into the world um and christ through his resurrection and exaltation to god's throne is seated in heavenly realms above all things there is nothing that is not under the realm of christ yeah. so we are under the kingdom of heaven, and that, so that is a pretty big statement. What do you make of that statement? Even though Paul says later, at present we do not see everything subjected to him, but everything has positionally been put under him. So so what do you make of that Ephesians statement? It says, far above every ruler, authority, power, and dominion.
3: So <clears throat> obviously there's what is declared and what is worked out are two different things but they're sure. becoming one. They will become one. What is declared and what is worked out.
2: And and all those authorities are now on, they are under an obligation oh, to Christ, right? Right? Whether they are currently submitted to that obligation or not yeah, is yeah. a different yeah. question. Yeah. And I think that's where we don't now see all all those things submitted. but the But don't you think this is the
0: reason why we why a totalitarian government is not authorized by God. Yeah. It's not authorized because what the totalitarian what the dictator is doing is he's taking the role of Savior and Lord, which is mm-hmm. what Caesar did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So their governments may play out.
2: And and it's it's there's a tension though, because of course you got the the statement, I think you you were talking about it from Acts where it, it talks about how God has appointed all of these boundaries for people, their kingdoms, like he's appointed yeah, the kingdoms. right? So you go, oh wait, so did he appoint the kingdom in North Korea or is that right. a mm-hmm. rogue state? Yes, <laughs> they're yeah. both both those things are true, right. and God is going to bring judgment, like He did on the Assyrians. He right. used the Assyrians yeah. to judge the Jews, right. then He judged the Assyrians because they delighted in what they were doing to right. the right. to the Jews Isaiah a little 30. too much, yeah. right? Sure. And so there's a there's a tension there of like God is in control, and yet there still is this agency of humanity to rebel, yeah. Um, and God uses it, and will one day, He's going to hold them liable, yeah. Yeah, bring them to justice. That's and, right. yeah
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, this passage for sure reminds us not only have we been brought into the kingdom of heaven already from darkness, but the kingdom of heaven is established over the earth. The kingdom of heaven is established over the world, and we're in a process now of seeing the kingdom go out into the world and this and the salvation of one individual. One community at a time hmm. and uh
2: and I think we have the danger sometimes of importing secularism into the discussion of of the kingdom, yeah, where we put the king we've been talking about that we put yeah. the kingdom here, the kingdom of earth here, and at the end of Ephesians in Ephesians six it says the right before he says to put on you know the armor of God, he says because we are making war against all these spiritual powers Mm -hmm. that are playing themselves out in the, in these, in these earthly authorities. Um, and so it's, a it's the, the kingdom of heaven comes through, through the spiritual renewal of the individual, but it, but it also plays out in practical earthly Mm -hmm. senses as well. So, um,
0: right. Yeah. I think we do have that tendency, um, to think that way. And I, and again, Ryan touched on that yesterday also, uh, just talking about, you know, what is the role of politics and what is the hope of it, you Can know, versus you, the hope of the gospel. Let
3: me ask a question, because maybe our viewers are probably thinking about this. If the Kingdom of Heaven has come to reign over all the earth, what glory comes to God by waiting for its final conquest? Does that make sense? Yes, that is
0: a great question, and the New Testament, Paul talks a lot about patiently waiting for it, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Peter talks about that too, we might even read some of those passages here where we have this expectation of the consummation of the kingdom, that is to say the the kingdom of God, as it has been established, coming full circle and just being fully realized in the world. So we have this sort of expectation. But the scripture tells us that we are to pay also patiently wait for that day, and there are a lot of passages actually that that encourage yeah. us toward patience. Yeah. Um, so it does our patient waiting and suffering, <laughs> and uh, and enduring, endurance that does bring glory to God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it produces in us a character that is that is of heaven. It, it does the yeah. image of Christ. Yeah,
2: and, and then I also yeah. I think the. The patience part of it, God being long suffering yeah, exactly. allows the whole multitude <laughs> yeah like there's going to be an uncountable multitude at the end that right. have been that have been been saved and bring praise and glory to God through his salvation, yeah. so it's putting his mercy and his grace on display, yeah his patience his long suffering his kindness to right, sinners yeah. you know his yeah. his uh you know, he's not. He doesn't have reckless wrath. He doesn't have. You know, yeah, that's this, right. This punitive, just immediate. You know, zapping people with lightning bolts, <laughs> yeah. 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 kind of thing <laughs> that that displays. And on
3: an individual sense, we long for because we yeah. want to be s- taken away from suffering, pain, angst. But from a ten thousand foot view, from yeah. the Lord's view, he's and I was being
0: very patient with yeah, sinners, yeah. and thank yeah. God he was patient for us before yeah. we came to Christ.
2: Amen. We, yeah this is one of the reasons why I think it's so hard for us to hear the accusations made against God of like, well, why would a just God allow be so cruel to like throw somebody into hell or or, or whatever and you're like, God has been patient and gracious with you, yeah, your whole life he's provided every breath Everything. and heartbeat, yeah. roof over your head food like he's been so generous to you and you're making these accusations against him. That at the end of time, after you reject his goodness for the entirety of your life, then he's like the cruel. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I think that's one of the reasons why we buck against that because the goodness of God is being revealed in his patient. Every
0: molecule in your body works (laughs) (laughs) the way it should work because God has sustained your life and he's not obligated to give you one more second. Yeah. And, What a good God of grace, man. Yeah,
1: and I would even add to answer Pat's question as well, I agree with everything that's been said, but um, revealing the character of God more through us as His his ambassadors, where He has prepared good works for us to do. And I think those good works are bringing glory to God um, and are a testament to this dying world in a long-suffering way. Man, you guys are different in your marriages and in your children and in your families and all these things. Mm -hmm. You're serving, uh, you're caring for the poor and the orphans and the widows and you know so it's also
0: people that know christians know it's not a <clears throat> it's not a phony veneer of religion hmm. it's not we're trying we're not trying to keep up appearances yeah. it's this genuine joy that bubbles up like a river from below we have this genuine joy in the holy spirit which uh, a believer has and so they also see that uh, and so that's another way in which we we yeah. witness is through the joy the joy of the Lord mm-hmm. uh, in our salvation. Yeah, so
3: there's two answers. The mm-hmm. Lord is glorified by us patiently waiting, but there's a the, there's a benefit for us yeah. in the Lord not coming and bringing conquest, and a benefit
0: mm-hmm. for the people around us yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so we also learn in the New Testament that one gains entrance or is denied entrance into this kingdom of heaven. Mm. So Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus warns in the Sermon on the Mount that not all who come to me on that day and say Adonai, Adonai, or Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is a kingdom you can enter. This is a kingdom you can come into or be disallowed or be disbarred from. So that's pretty significant uh matthew sixteen nineteen, jesus says to peter i will give you he says this the you there is plural by the way so he's not just talking to peter he's talking to all the disciples there as the church mm-hmm. he says i will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven and so this is based on peter's confession of jesus as the mm-hmm. christ the son of the living god remember in that story <laughs> jesus says who do people say that i am yeah. <laughs> and everybody's got an answer Everybody says, well, they say you're the prophet. They say you're just the Messiah. They mm. say you're just a, maybe a Jeremiah revived or Jeremiah yeah. come back from the dead, John the Baptist, maybe something like that. Yeah. And Jesus says, okay, but who do you say that I am? Most important question in the entire Bible. Mm. And Peter speaks up on behalf of the disciples and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now Mm. Jesus says, you're blessed because you made that confession. And now it is based on that confession. I give you the keys. What Mm -hmm. do the keys mean?
1: I think an authority to bind and loose as it is in heaven on earth. Um, And I think in light of Matthew 18, that's given to the church. (laughs) Sure, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, it's not given to anyone else, is it? (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Not the the magisterium. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not—I mean, Peter is not a pope here. No. The "u" is plural. It's not singular. Uh, and he does—Matthew uh, 16, by the way, and Matthew 18 are the only two places in the Gospels that use the word ecclesia or the word church, mm-hmm. right? So it isn't given to anyone else. It's given to the church. Uh, so, so, you can, so Jesus says that you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus also says that you can be barred from the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Mm. But then the basis of entering the kingdom of heaven is what? The confession. confession. <laughs> confession. Mm-hmm. Making the confession from the heart. And this is why Paul says in Romans <clears throat> chapter 10, that if you believe in your heart that God has ra- Jesus was crucified and God has raised him from the dead, mm. and you confess that Jesus is Lord with yeah. your mouth yeah. through that confession, you will be saved. Yeah. So you have that confidence. You have that security. That you are saved and you don't have to worry about whether or not you're saved, right? Um, so you can gain entrance or be denied. Look so at what Paul says here. Yeah, go ahead. Do you
2: think that that is what the... the uh, I literally just lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay, man. <laughs> Out, Out the we'll window goes. Keep when, going. <laughs> when, okay. When
0: it pops back in your brain, just speak up. Second uh, Timothy 4, 6 through 8 and 16. I want to show you this. this very, now we're going to get into the discussion of is having a place where you go when you die... Because I think there's a strong inferential case in the New Testament that it is. That it's what we, theologians call it the intermediate state between this life and the final state, which is our resurrection and new creation, uh, God renovating the whole world. Look at what Paul says here. He says, uh, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. Now, clearly what he means here is, He's about to die, yeah. <laughs> right? And and this is the last book he writes in the New Testament, other than Titus. I think this is the last one. Mm-hmm. Titus is between 1 first, first Timothy and 2 Timothy. So this is the last book he's writing. He knows his time is near, it's up. He said, the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Mm. There is reserved for me then the crown of righteousness, mm. which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but all those who have loved his mm. appearing, his mm-hmm. revelation. Mm-hmm. Verse 16. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. I thought we just mm-hmm. said Paul is already in the kingdom. Hasn't he already hasn't the kingdom already come to Paul based on Romans 5? Hasn't the reign of grace already started in his life? Yeah. Why would he be looking forward to going to the heaven, being brought safely to the kingdom of heaven Mm. if there's nowhere to go when you die, if you just die Mm. and go in the ground, and that's it? Yeah. Your thoughts on that? Come on, guys. Yeah,
1: I think he's longing. uh, You know, we use this language of already and not yet, and that's really describing this kingdom, Mm -hmm. is that, yes, it's already here, it's, it's broken in, but it's not yet consummated. And so he is... Uh, longing and loving uh, and looking forward to being with His God in the presence of God. That's right. And mm-hmm. and yeah. when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we talk about heaven coming down. We are talking, in one sense, about God's presence, like it was in the garden. And that's what it's moving towards. So um, that's what He's looking forward
0: to. Yeah, yeah. There's so,
2: a the, the example I, I I love using is uh, having lived overseas. You go to the embassy. And the embassy is the sovereign territory of of the nation that it represents. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is it that nation? Not really. Like, <laughs> it, it, but it is in, in in some sense, in some very real sense. And the culture there and, like, everything there is very representative of that nation. It's respected as that. Yeah. And we serve as ambassadors mm-hmm. of the kingdom of heaven. We live in these right. outposts that are, yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, of the nature of the right. kingdom, but they're also not they're they're not the the place yet. Yeah, you know, and and so there's this picture of like an ambassador being being brought home. Mm. There has to be. I mean, there's a love for the country. I'm sure that they were in. Right, but there's a rejoicing in oh, I get to go. Right, be, you know, be fully back with my people, man.
0: It's interesting that you bring that up because Paul is going to use in Philippians. He's going to use this exact language, or is it Philippians, or yeah, uh, this exact language of a language of being a citizen of heaven. Yeah. And Roman Philippi was a clone of Rome. Mm-hmm. Roman Philippi Peter was too, often yeah. thought it was it was often thought that uh, Philippi was just uh, it was called a little Rome, <laughs> right, and. So if you were a citizen of Rome in Philippi, um, you weren't necessarily looking to go back to Rome. You were a citizen of Rome in Philippi.
1: Mm.
0: Um, and so it's very interesting that he uses a very similar, and he also refers to himself as ambas- an ambassador of Christ and that sort of thing. So um, so he's gonna bring some of that that language up here Second uh, Peter 1 11 says for in this way in- entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you but I thought these believers had already entered the kingdom of God <laughs> hasn't the kingdom of God already come to them isn't it already planted in their heart well Peter seems to say in second Peter one eleven 11 uh, that in this way entry into the eternal kingdom is going to be provided for them hmm. which means there's something that has clearly started in them like a seed planted in the soil uh, that is going to grow to fruition. That is going to complete itself and come, come mm-hmm. to fruition. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So <clears throat> one gains entrance or can be denied entrance into the kingdom based on their confession from mm-hmm. the heart. Yeah,
4: clearly. Yeah, and I think you see obviously in the Second Timothy passage when he talks about those who love his appearing, you think of what Paul says that when we see Christ, we will become like him. Yeah, and that's the fulfillment, the completion where we are like Christ in full. I mean, I often ponder the fact yeah. that there will be a day where I will no longer struggle with pride. Mm. Yeah. How amazing will that be? That's where the right. totality yeah. of my being will be completely yeah. <laughs> focused on the God who loves me and yeah. saved me. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, that's the fulfillment of our the kingdom that has started in us. Right. And right. we are longing for that because we love his appearing. Mm. Mm. That That's...
0: that's <clears throat> That's a great insight, man. That, that word that he uses for like there mm. is the word semorpho, mm. and it means to be transformed like something, mm. to be transformed into that image mm. of that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so here we're going to be like Christ. We're going to be mm-hmm. so thoroughly like him. Later when we get to the book of Revelation, we're going to see that it uses this word for Sabbath or rest, mm. that the souls under the altar are actually resting from mm. their sin. They're in a state of rest from struggling against sin, exactly what you were just talking about, just mm-hmm. knowing, uh, that's g- looking at the glory in the face of God and just not struggling yeah. with sin anymore mm-hmm. as sinners, you know, saved by grace, but um, mm-hmm. great, great insight. Uh, also, heaven awaits believers when they die. Heaven awaits believers when they die. This seems pretty much the clear inference of mm-hmm. Jesus' parable in Luke 16, mm-hmm. if we look at it just really quickly. Jesus tells a story about the rich man and Lazarus. I'm just gonna read some of that story to you and we can make some observations from it. Jesus says, uh, there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen. And in that culture that was, that was the clothing of the rich and the wealthy. And he would feast lavishly every day. But then there was a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores and he was lying at his gate. And his, he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, just the scraps like a dog. Hmm. But instead, the dogs would come and lick uh, Lazarus's true. sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. Uh, the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus uh, to serve me, basically, (laughs) to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because Mm. I am in such agony in these flames. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. So the tables have turned. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, and neither can those from there cross over to us. Uh, Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment." Mm -hmm. So there's a question here as to whether or not this is a parable or whether Jesus is actually telling us what happened to Lazarus when Lazarus died. That story, by the way, is in John 11, uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I do think it is a parable, I don't know what you think about this, but I think it is a parable. The word Lazarus is the word Eleazar, and that is other than the word Jesus or John, In this culture, it would have been one of the most popular names. It just would have been like St. John Smith or something Mm. like that. Mm. So I don't think it's necessarily referring to the Lazarus of the Gospel of John, John 10, John 11. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think it is a parable. There clearly are some parable, structural things that look like a parable here. Um, But the question is, what's the central idea here? Mm. Like what does Jesus seem to be advocating? That happens to the soul when it when the person dies. Where does the rich man go?
3: I think first there. Are, like if you're advocating specific things, that definitely we can affirm. There are two places the soul can go. Yeah. Two different experiences the soul can have. Right. That would be first on At my death. mind of this. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hades and Abraham's side or bosom. Right. Yeah. Or the paradise. Paradise. If you wanted to use that yeah. terminology. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. I agree.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it looks for all the world, like Jesus is affirming that uh, the yeah. conscious state of the soul mm-hmm. after physical death. Mm-hmm. Um, and some would try to say, well, no, no, it's just a parable. Jesus is trying to just, He's just trying to use this as an illustration to make a point about being good in this life. And we would say, well, Jesus is not leading us into error, is he? I mean, this would lead to mass confusion mm-hmm. to leave this he's and teaching. then not comment yeah, on the, it
2: and if this is a delusion that is held by the people that he's speaking to jesus is usually re-instructing them hey, you, you like right you got wrong thinking on this here's the right thinking right
0: if they're thinking wrong about this why doesn't yeah. he correct them yeah mm-hmm. Does this doesn't make any sense so jesus is most definitely in this parable affirming the afterlife mm-hmm. Uh not everything is necessarily taken in a wooden literal fashion here but we do note uh... that the Abraham side the idea there is that he's in paradise and they're sitting around a middle eastern table and they're reclining at dinner so the word is bosom mm-hmm. and so what you would do in this culture is you would kind of sit on a cushion on the floor and then you would recline into the person sort of to this, your left this is how we should start doing Yeah, past- <laughs> 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 yeah it was very intimate it was a very intimate <clears throat> setting mm-hmm. but the idea is that whoever is reclining uh, into the master of the banquet is the most important person at the banquet. And so here, clearly, Abraham is the most important person at this mm. banquet. Yeah. And Lazarus is right on his side, just mm. reclining into his bosom. So that's that's obviously a word picture, but the idea mm-hmm. here is it's paradise. It's, you know, in the ancient yeah. world, they thought of Hades as having two different compartments. One compartment mm-hmm. was where the wicked dead went. In the Old Testament, that's called Sheol. And the other compartment was called... Um, paradise yeah uh it wasn't directly into heaven or wasn't directly into the presence of god but uh, that's what the jews thought that's where the jews thought their their loved ones went. Mm. so jesus seems to affirm that jewish doctrine
1: um i think it's even important to notice that you know we're talking about uh we're talking about their soul continuing on and oftentimes we think of like torment as mainly something that happens physically, yeah. but he's saying that he was tormented in his soul. And then, you know, Lazarus is experiencing bliss in it as well. Um, So I know we're getting there with the idea of um, soul sleep and all of that, but there's something to be experienced apart from the body yet, as we'll get to even further, Mm -hmm. uh, that they're still longing for the resurrected body too. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll
0: get there. We'll get there. You're right. So there is a state of bliss and a state of Torment. Yeah. Um, clearly, in this passage, two two
3: different states of being, do no you, doubt. Do you think this passage helps explain? So, Ecclesiastes nine mm. talks about enjoy life despite death. And there's an interesting verse two. Everyone is the same, or everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate for the righteous and the wicked, for the good and the bad, for the clean and the unclean, and the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice. So it goes on to say, and then it gets to the bottom, verse ten whatever your hands find to do, do with all your strength, because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you are going." So is Jesus helping to interpret Ecclesiastes to say there is one place where everyone goes, this chasm? Do you th- For you, sure, I mean, you, yeah. So it's an explanation of this one. Part yeah, because even the
0: patriarchs, or even the uh, prophets, or some of the important kings, maybe David, talk about going to Sheol. So sheol is just the general word. The catch-all. The Hebrew word, catch-all word. for yeah. It's translated into Greek culture as Hades. Um, we tend, tend to equate Hades with hell. We shouldn't. Mm. Um, but it generally is just the abode of the dead, the yeah. shadowy uh, yeah. <laughs> abode. Mm. Uh, it's the afterlife. So it's yeah. the Hebrew think that, idea for afterlife. So do you
2: think that that passage in Peter where it talks about how Jesus descended yeah. and proclaimed to the spirits... That he and and we I can't remember which creed it is where it says where we affirm that he descended into hell. Yeah, but yeah. Um, first, Peter, three. Yeah, um, do you think that he's talking about he descended to that he descended to that realm? Yeah, uh, where there's the there's paradise and judgment. Like for sure, in the church fathers, from my understanding, mm-hmm. when I was reading a little bit of yeah. Vatican yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. understood it that that and that he took those saints, those mm-hmm. Old Testament
2: saints, yeah. with him to it was a whole thing. That's yeah. Ephesians 4. Yeah. So, and then the, that would that would yeah. legitimize his statement on the cross of today you will be with me in paradise. Well, that's Luke, the next one here, oh, Luke 23:43 <laughs> when he
0: says to the thief today you will be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. But we learn from 1 Peter 3:18 and following that he clearly also went and proclaimed to the spirits who were imprisoned. So, and who disobeyed long ago in the time of Noah, that's a notoriously difficult Mm -hmm. passage to interpret. Mm -hmm. Um, But essentially the historic Christian view, I think the main historic Christian view has been that um, exactly what you just said, what you have here is you have Sheol, right? Or Hades in two compartments. On the one compartment, uh, you have paradise where all of the righteous Old Testament saints have gone, the righteous people. And then you have, and Gentiles as well. And then on the other half, you have Hades, or you have this sort of uh, Sheol proper, which is, we think of as hell, but it's just sort of a holding place for the unrighteous dead. So that was kind of the idea there. And then in Ephesians 4, it says,
1: you know, uh, when Luke he, 16 would be describing that. In Luke 16 reader. is describing it's the that torment, view. but not yet quite the full consummation Forever of wrath under. and hell. That's yeah. right,
0: because yeah. when we get to Revelation, we'll find that Hades is thrown into hell. Mm-hmm. Right, or yeah. into the lake of fire, right? <laughs> so we find that's that, uh, yeah, so that's kind of scary. But um, so, yeah, the idea here is in, in Ephesians 4, Jesus is leading a train of captives mm-hmm. in his wake or in his train. In other words, he's bringing the captives out now, proclaiming his victory to those who are on the other side and now taking them directly into the presence of God.
2: So, yeah, so there was there's a distinct shift between what happens... To the believer before Christ, to the yeah, b- before Christ came, and oh, sorry, to the faithful yeah. before Christ yeah. came, and the faithful after, after. That, yeah. that that's
0: right. That's why you never really see in the Old Testament like David when he talks about he will not abandon me to the grave. That's quoted in Acts uh, in reference to Jesus. That word grave there is shale, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the David doesn't really think he's going directly into the presence of the Lord. Now he does say in Psalm twenty three. Mm-hmm. He does say, I will dwell forever in the house of the Lord. So there is this, expect, this Jewish expectation that after the resurrection, that is going to happen. Mm-hmm. We are going to dwell in the house of the Lord. Yeah. But David he even refers to himself going to the grave, going to Sheol, his soul, yeah. de- departing and going into this this place that is the netherworld. It's, mm-hmm. it's the afterlife, but it's not heaven, and it's, it's not hell.
1: So you would say after... Uh... Christ's resurrection, believers who die, would go into yes. the presence of the Lord. Well, we're going to find that okay. out. Okay. We're going to yeah. see. Now, what now.
0: contrary to what you read in the Old Testament, in the expectation of the Old Testament, or the expectation in Second Temple Jewish literature, how does Paul think now when the believer dies? What, is, what does he think yeah. about himself? What does he think about...
1: He's going to see the Lord.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Philippians 1, 21 through 24, if you turn there really quickly, great passage here. Uh, 1 21 through 24 he says for me to live is christ and for me to die is gain now understand he's telling the philippians in context here he's telling them i don't know what i should do Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i don't know which i prefer Mm -hmm. i don't know if i should stay here or move on so look at his wording here he says for me to live that is go on living in the body is christ and to die is gain now if i live on in the flesh that is the body this means fruitful work for me and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Um, let's see. Uh, he says, since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue uh, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my uh, coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So what is Paul's dilemma here? What what do you
4: note about that passage? There are some things really interesting. James, what do you see here? He's just broken over. He wants to continue and minister to the churches, but even more than that, he desires to see and behold his Savior. Yeah, right. Um, Right. And this would be evidence for that intermediary Yes, place uh, that Paul clearly has an idea of. He when he dies, he's going to be with right. the Lord. Mm-hmm. So,
0: what does he assume about his own const- his own human constitution? What does he assume about the nature of a human being here? About the soul and the body.
1: There's an eternality to it that it goes on. Forever. That, that, that it does yeah. go on. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: But also that they're separable. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. the soul is separable, yeah. and so there are a lot of people who they they are called monists. Uh, they do not believe this. They believe you. You know, when you die, you're in a state of sleep, or you're, uh, you're. You just don't exist anymore until Jesus raises you from the dead, mm. and that really w- does not square with Paul's view of himself right. mm. or the believer. Mm. Paul thinks that his soul is separable from his body, yeah. and this is his tension. I don't know what I should do. Should mm. I go on living in the body, mm-hmm. or should I depart and be with Christ? Mm-hmm. So clearly here the believer has the expectation that when they depart, as Paul said earlier to Timothy, um when I I, I know that when I depart I'm going to go on and be with Christ. Yeah.
2: And this was a view this was a view held by the early church too. This wasn't this yeah. isn't a, a mm-hmm. modern um uh, one of the reasons that suicide in the Catholic Church is a mortal sin is because um, there was a period of time where they had priests Killing themselves because yeah. of this exact same desire of this right. world mm. is so hard, Right. and I want I would rather be with God instead. So right. They had to say, yeah. "Nope, that will actually disqualify <laughs> you from, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. uh, from going to be with God." And um, and life was hard back then. Yeah, and so that that did, that that longing is not a not a, a, a modern invention. Y- yeah, that that's right. Ancient, well, I'm uh, glad you brought that up. Because, it denies what
3: Paul's saying yeah. because. It, to live is good just as going to heaven is good though he does say it's better that I be with the lord both are good things or choosing between mm-hmm. so there's two good, good things point. here
0: yeah. notice that he now that he has three choices he can talk about the good the better and the best hmm. so notice that he doesn't think where he's going is the best the best is resurrection
1: mm-hmm.
0: the best is his bodily resurrection yeah. at the end of the age but it is far better he says that I go to be with Christ, although it's not bad for me to stay. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. So it's good to stay, mm-hmm. yeah. better to go. The best thing is coming. <laughs> Wait till we get to First Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and then he talks about the most the superlative, right? What is the best for the human race? Right. Yeah. Um Second Corinthians chapter five, this is a really weird passage if you go there really quickly. Man, this passage is really interesting. Now here, you'll want to note the context of chapter 4. So uh, Paul brings up the subject of future resurrection in 2 Corinthians 4.14. Now in verse 16, he says this, Even though our outer person is being destroyed, that is the body, the physical body, he says our inner person, that is the soul, is being renewed day by day. So here again, while Paul thinks body and soul are intertwined, he thinks a person is just one person. Mm-hmm. He thinks there are two parts to the person. And the two parts are the outer man which is wasting away, our bodies are getting old, they're dying. and the inner man, which is actually getting younger, like uh, you're actually getting younger. It, you're being renewed day by day and the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit as you as you move toward that day when you die, and so here, now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to go there. Does anybody have it? I do. Yeah.
1: yeah. Can you
0: read that passage?
1: Just starting, starting in, in verse 1? One. One. Uh, yes, start in, in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since, when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment.
0: So what is the tent here that he's referring to? How, he uses this metaphor, this illustration of, right now, he says, we live in an earthly tent. Mm-hmm. But soon, someday, when it when this tent is destroyed, mm-hmm. we have a building, yeah. right? <laughs> and the building is like a temple yeah. that's immovable. It doesn't go anywhere. So the illustration here is of a Bedouin tent. Yeah. Now remember, Paul by trade mm-hmm. was a tent maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you have these mobile homes. They're not trailers. They're not like single wide <laughs> trailers in the mobile home park. <laughs> um they're not. They're they're these are tents. These are Bedouin tents. They are mobile, and you can and these guys who who herded sheep could move them around anywhere. They're quite sophisticated. They can be quite elaborate, but it's quite a different thing to live in yeah. that kind of tent. I'm thinking of
1: like Native American tents on prairies. Is something similar? S- similar to say, that? Because I don't know what a Bedouin. Bedouin tent. Yeah, I never heard of that. It's just like a big desert tent. Okay.
0: That, uh, Do you yeah. know what a better one is? But doesn't it also... <laughs> Thank you for demeaning him. I, just <laughs> I, I, don't I felt like it needed to be Ill. asked. <laughs> I don't. Uh, no. Uh, it's like uh, it's, it's a person <clears throat> who lives in the Middle East, usually a sheep herder or okay. maybe even a, a wealthy sheikh. I think they live all across North Africa, too. Yeah, yeah. you find... Yeah. You, they're they're nomadic. You travel with food. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're nomadic. Mm-hmm. You follow... You follow uh, uh, the sheep. But doesn't, uh, it, the but, doesn't have,
2: but doesn't it also have the the an echo of the comparison between the tabernacle and the temple? Yeah, this is mm. the spirit of God indwelling this earthly tent. Yeah, for sure. And but the building the building was better. Yeah. Now mm. it's the switch over to you know to the established. With, Interesting. With, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. comparison. Yep. yep. <clears throat> yeah. So you've got the. What you've got there is you've got the thing that's impermanent Mm -hmm. being supplanted by the thing that's permanent, right? And 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 it's different. It's a dwelling. It's a different kind of dwelling. So what's the building then? The building would be what? He says, it's in heaven waiting for us. It's an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. What is it? Is it just... Dwelling in the heavens, or is it something kept for us there in the heavens, waiting for us?
1: I've always taken it as our new resurrected bodies that have perfect consummation of you know the spiritual and the physical together. Yeah, um, I think the way
0: Millard, uh, theologian Millard er- Erickson solves this because when we get to first Corinthians 15, it's, it seems pretty clear that Paul thinks that the resurrection, our resurrection body resurrection is eschatological. That means it's at the end of the age. Mm-hmm. But here it seems like it's not. It seems like it's you get the body upon death, the new resurrected mm-hmm. body at your death. So the way Erickson, um, the way Millard Erickson solves that is he says, in the same way that resurrection life has been planted in you now and is growing to mm-hmm. eternity, in eternity you still won't be done. In other words, what he's saying is, uh, not in eternity, but in the heavens, resurrection uh, is still going to be taking place, but it's not consummated and finalized until mm. the end of the age. So this is why you see passages like this, which seem to suggest that a person receives this permanent building, yeah. this permanent body, yeah. uh, upon their death. Yeah. But at the same time, you have First Corinthians 15, which we'll read which looks for all the world like it's at the end of the age.
2: Yeah. yeah. And um, you have and you have like the well, we can talk about that later. Uh, this passage <laughs> sorry, this passage in particular is really helpful for me to just to get to the practical like application of some of this stuff. Everybody is is searching like everybody eternity has been written into the hearts of humanity, right? Yeah. And everybody has this awareness yeah, that I'm not what I should be, right? There's this longing to sure. be done with it. Like we know there's some sense of of cosmic injustice that our vision goes away. Like it's not just a bummer. Right. There's something like wrong with it. There's something unjust about it. And, um, this passage has really helped helped me. I don't understand. I, do, I, I don't have the experience of gender dysphoria I don't have the experience, like I don't understand it, but I do understand, I don't feel like I'm in the body that I, I I don't feel like I'm in the, the, the dwelling that I should be in. Hmm. Right. Right. Um, And every human being, whether they are faithful or pagan or, or whatever, has that awareness as well. And so it would make sense to me. It's helped make some sense to, oh, people are trying to figure out a way to like, yeah, comfort themselves but they have a they have such a uh a, a, a truncated view of reality yeah that they're just trying to to do it inside this little the little sphere of the material you yeah, know? yeah 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 uh, you mean like with plastic surgery and plastic all that. surgery with with you know gender affirming yeah. you know a, care I, I don't know what other <laughs> word to use uh that doesn't um that, that those kinds of surgeries like you're operating in the material because you have this spiritual longing yeah. and you know that the, this material is passing away. Right. Mm. You know that this material is somehow not what it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm not saying that this justifies transgenderism. Please do not hear that. I wasn't hearing that. Okay, good. Well, I I was accused of that once. It has it has enabled me to to have tremendous compassion. To start yeah. with compassion of mm. I too feel as if I'm in the wrong body. Yeah. Now we can have you know. Uh, yeah,
0: there's some question as to whether or not when we get to first Corinthians fifteen, um Paul seems to pretty strongly say there that the body go- that goes in the ground is the body that comes out <coughs> in resurrection. In other words, um so there's a one-to-one correspondence between the body that's sown, the mm. seed that is sown and the body that comes up. It's just that body. But he uses there's other language too, and yeah. other analogies both here, uses several analogies, but in First Corinthians 15, he also uses some other analogies that make us think, well, maybe it's a different body, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe it's an altogether different body. So, yeah. But in any case, whether it's the body that goes in or a body that's re... Uh, I would say for all of those uh, bodies that have disintegrated in history... And that just have the molecules of those bodies have just turned into other things. By the way, every molecule in your body is from something else. It's from <laughs> pre-existing matter also. So I would just say, at some level, God has to recreate the body. Yeah. God has to, at some level, He has to recreate
2: you. Um, and doesn't doesn't Paul say in First Corinthians fifteen that the seed that is planted, yeah, what comes out of it is kind of the same substance, but it's well, he says
0: not, he actually it's, 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 says it's, it's different. He says it's all—it's—it's it's, it's no, no, all yeah, different. It's,
2: yeah, but it's a different, like yes. it's a different thing. Yeah,
0: I think if you press the analogy, you would have to say the body that goes in the ground is the body that has to come out. But I don't think that really is Paul's point, although mm. it could be. Yeah. It certainly could fit that. Um, I think his point is that what comes out, or that is to say, the resurrected body that we will see, is as different from, from, from what we're in right now. As a little seed is from from a mighty oak, mm-hmm. right, or from a mighty mm-hmm. uh, whatever kind of trees they had, acacia trees or whatever, uh, it is just the full realization of the potential of that body. I think is kind of where he's getting, yeah. uh, and it will be like Christ's body, impervious to sin, impervious to temptation, incorruptible, is the word yeah. that he used. We'll yeah. we'll get there in a can second, I, but uh, can I yeah.
1: ask you, Jeff, a thirty second rabbit trail question, real you quick? Bet. Uh, in light of the end of chapter 4, uh, verse 16, therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. And there's other passage we've been discussing. Those who hold to tripartite view, yeah. and I lean a little bit to the other way, but body, soul, spirit. What are they doing with the spirit? They're just saying, are they saying that's still separate from the soul and it continues on into heaven? Are they, like, how are they understanding no, that? no,
0: they... So those who hold to a tripartite view, what, what you're referring to there is, uh, there are essentially three views of the human constitution. One is uh, what's called monism. Mm-hmm. Monism is that you're only your body and that the soul is only a an emergent property of the body. That is yeah, to say you're... Material, you're, in a sense. It's right? just material. Yeah. The other is to say that no, it's the dualist position. It's like Thomistic dualism. Yeah. So St. Thomas Aquinas had this view, and I think it's the right one. I think it's the biblical one. Yeah. And that is that you are body and soul. Yeah. In other words, you're you're material and immaterial, you're one person with two natures. Yeah. So you have material and immaterial, but those those two natures, while separable, are are not whole. Yes. One has to have the other to be whole, which yeah. is why Paul says here, I feel like I'm naked. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like Paul's ana- other analogy that he uses here is Nakedness I mean ima- imagine walking around in the nude in public you would you would be longing to find clothing <laughs> yeah. right and he says that's what it's like wanting the resurrection, yeah All right the the naked the naked uh self without a resurrected body longs for that resurrected body kept for la- for us in the heavenlies, right mm-hmm. So now the third position is within dualism, it's actually within dualism is the tripartite position. Mm-hmm. So in the New Testament where it says, it says "You know body, soul, and spirit," so Paul uses that for yeah. me several times yeah. in the New Testament, we think that the soul has a spiritual faculty, okay. and the spiritual and so the spirit is just a spiritual faculty okay. that can commune with God in a way that no other creature can gotcha so other creatures that are living souls, like uh dogs and mm-hmm. horses and stuff like yeah. that um <clears throat> The, you know, Genesis 1 also uses the word nefesh, or soul, mm-hmm. to yeah. describe livestock. But the human being has been given something else, yeah. some other kind of innate capacity. It's yeah. a spiritual capacity. And so and so,
1: uh, body, soul, and spirit refer and to so that. And so the more Thomistic dualists would say just that you don't have to necessarily have the language of the extra faculty. It's just that that's a part of the enlightened soul. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. a part yeah. of the immaterial yeah. Yeah. soul okay
0: uh that can commune and partake of divine life. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I don't think it's a separate piece. Like I think it's embedded in the yeah in the immaterial. Um good question. Great question. Uh okay, so um so is heaven our eternal dwelling? Is heaven our eternal dwelling? This is the way we tend to think of heaven. And So I think what we would have to say is uh, yes and no. Um, Wait, before I get there, there are a couple passages I I probably skipped over (laughs) that I should probably look at. The one is uh, Revelation 6-9. Revelation 6-9. John is seeing a revelation, and what he says is, when he opened the fifth seal, uh, I saw under the altar the souls Mm. of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. Verse 11... So they were each given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little while longer. So the saints are in a state of Sabbath or rest from the sinful powers of the world that have slaughtered them, right? Mm -hmm. But the souls are crying out. What are they crying out? How long O Lord? Right. So this picture of the altar now is probably the one that's in the Holy of Holies, which is where they sprinkled the blood. And so to be under the altar, and so that is actually what we refer to as the mercy seat, And the mercy seat is also a synonym for God's throne, right? So here you have these souls who are now kept under God's uh, sovereign care, Mm -hmm. His watchful care, and they're crying out, Lord, how long before you avenge us? Uh, In other words, how long before you bring justice on the world that keeps doing this stuff to your people? And so it's that kind of prayer, but they seem to have conscious awareness. These souls are being kept, Mm -hmm. but also they're consciously aware of their... Their existence. Yeah. So they're not mm-hmm. in a state of sleep. They're not in a state of slumber. They're not, <clears throat> you know,
2: but there's, drowsy. There's also a sense of, I don't want to say dissatisfaction, holy dissatisfaction. But there's, yeah. but there's a mm-hmm. longing of it. Of yeah. this is not. This is not complete. this is yeah. yes, I'm resting, but this isn't my my mm-hmm. final very rep. good point. Rest.
0: good observation both in that passage and in the other revelation passage, I think its is chapter nineteen or twenty where it also refers to those souls. in both of those passages <clears throat> excuse me, in both of those passages, something isn't finished, right And so while we tend to think of heaven as souls going off, into heaven with the Lord, and now they're finished. Um, the New Testament doesn't teach that. The New Testament mm-hmm. doesn't teach that in any passage. In fact, all of these passages that we've read, it's quite clear that Paul expects that there's something left to be done mm-hmm. by God to us, which is receiving our resurrected bodies, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. full resurrection of the saint. So these folks are waiting for God's justice. mm mm-hmm. They're consciously aware of their own existence, and they're also consciously aware that something is left, left to be done here mm, yeah. uh, before God wraps it all up. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of His great <clears throat> mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven." So there is something God is keeping for us, an inheritance in heaven. It's kept for us there, and we have an expectation that we will go to it, that we will be reunited with uh, God and go to that heavenly inheritance, which is kept imperishable, undefiled, and unfading.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, Colossians Colossians 1.5, Paul says, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven... So there is this hope reserved for us in heaven that the believer ought to have, right? So clearly, uh, we have an expectation of something transacting when we pass away. Questions, comments, well, or Well, so as you talk about
3: this, we have to go back to where we started, which is describing the kingdom of heaven. How do we know when heaven is mentioned in this that it's a place and not the idea of the kingdom of heaven breaking into this world. How can we make that distinction?
0: I think it's because of that Second Timothy passage that we read where Paul says, I'm about to depart. Yeah. Remember, he says, I'm about to depart, and then he says, I know God will bring me securely okay. into the yes. heavenly kingdom, Great. his heavenly kingdom. So clearly Paul thinks he's going mm-hmm. somewhere when he departs, and that he's going to experience God's kingdom in a way that he hasn't up right. until this point. Heretofore he hasn't experienced it that way. Yeah. So I think that's mm-hmm. the reason. And it's
3: it's not possible to experience that here. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. That's what he's alluding to. It's mm-hmm. not possible to experience not it here. Not in its
0: fullness, no. Nope. Yeah. So there mm-hmm. is a place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good question. Uh number three. Is heaven our eternal dwelling though? We would have to say yes and no. Mm-hmm. What in the world do we mean? I thought we I thought we just say yes well no (laughs) we would have to say yes and no because the believer's hope is the resurrection as we've been alluding to and new creation not a heavenly state now you may wonder why why are there so few passages in the new testament that talk about the believer's hope of dying and going to heaven why are they so scarce why, are, why do you have to infer it from all these passages we've been reading instead of just directly coming out and saying it or having an extended exposition about it? Like, why, why don't we have a chapter on dying and going to heaven? Well, it's because the believers in the New Testament era in the first century thought that Jesus would return any moment. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't have to think about it that much because they thought any second now Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna finish what he started, and, and all the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That was their mentality. They had this imminent expectation of his return.
2: Do you think that's why they used the, the euphemism of sleep for death? Of that's exactly this just right. this brief, it's gonna be this brief second.
0: I think they, there's a couple of reason, mm-hmm. reasons why you find in a lot of passages that they use this phrase, fallen asleep. Like in First Thessalonians chapter four, uh, he uses this phrase: um, "We will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep when the Lord comes." The reason is because they think of uh, first of all, it's a metaphor of the dead body. Yeah. <clears throat> so the sleep. So asleep. it's a euphemism. Yeah. To yeah. it's the it's the same reason that we say, "Oh, he passed." Did he pass or did he die? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like we de- we just want to soften the blow of it. Yeah. And this was a Jewish way of softening the blow. It's an idiom. So it's a euphemism. The other reason they use the phrase fallen, fallen asleep is because sleep is a state of rest. And and that is what the Jew thought the soul at death was doing. Now they're resting from the burdens of this world. They're resting in Abraham's bosom. Mm. They're at the banquet table with Abraham resting, Sabbathing. Uh, and that's exactly what? what you see here in Revelation 6, 9 jesus tells them uh, he puts a white robe on them uh and says rest a little while longer be patient <clears throat> wait hmm. we're not done yet right uh, yeah so i think that's the reason why you see that that metaphor and it, a, and it's also as you say because they just didn't they just thought jesus's kingdom was going to break into the world and be totally finished hmm. um and that they wouldn't have to wait that long but it's 2,000 years later, and we're still crying out, How long, O oh Lord, uh, before you bring justice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so look in Romans 8, 18 through 23. Look at what Paul says the hope of the Christian is, the whole world. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us, for the creation eagerly. Waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed, his sons and daughters. For the creation was subjected to futility, <clears throat> not willingly, but because excuse me. <clears throat> but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of, of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now notice what he says the hope is here. Mm-hmm. What is the world waiting for? So he personifies the world here as if it's personal, mm-hmm. as if it has a personal will or it's longing for something. And he uses that rhetorical device to say, it's as if the world is right on edge, just waiting to be reborn itself but what is it waiting for
2: the redemption of, of human bodies, the revelation of,
0: yeah our adoption um, yeah. the redemption of our bodies mm-hmm. that's what it's waiting for it's waiting for the resurrection so when the sons and daughters of God are mm-hmm. raised to be like Christ forever incorruptible that's what the world is waiting for and people read right over this passage man they don't they just they're just thinking about heaven but they're <clears> not thinking about the redemption of the world But Paul teaches here the redemption of the world. Um, So yeah, any other thoughts on that passage? Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Look at what he says here. He says, uh, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Pretty, so you, we see what Paul's hope is here. Now, mm-hmm. earlier in chapter 1, Paul's like, listen, if I, if I depart, I'm going to go on and be with Christ. Mm-hmm. But look at what his ultimate hope is. His ultimate hope is the fact that our citizenship is in heaven, and the Lord... <laughs> of that kingdom is coming. And uh, he's going to come from there, and he will then transform our humble bodies mm-hmm. into the likeness of his glorious body. That's the hope of the Christian, mm-hmm. his resurrection, Um, clearly. Mm. And then Second Corinthians 5, 6 through 9. Oh, we already covered this one. Yeah, this is the earthly tent passage. Mm-hmm. But notice verse six, I'm gonna point this one out. Okay, verse six here. So he's talking about the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. And look at verse six, he says, "'For we are always confident and know "'that while we are at home in the body, "'we are away from the Lord.'" Wait a second, what? Uh, "'For we walk by faith, not by sight. "'In fact, we are confident, "'and we would prefer to be away from the body "'and at home with the Lord.'" Hmm. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. What does Paul think about the body? Well, he thinks that his spiritual side, right, mm-hmm. his spirit or his soul, whatever you want to call it, his immaterial self, is detachable from, is separable from his body. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that he's either going to be at home in the body, in the tent, this temporary dwelling, or he's going to be with the Lord.
1: <clears throat> yeah.
0: I don't know. Is there any other way to interpret that, that you could see that isn't just pretty straightforward there? It seems pretty straightforward.
1: I agree. Seems to me. When I was like thinking through all this, I was like, I mean, I I know there's those few passages where it talks about you know those who have fallen asleep and stuff like that, but I was like, the yeah. plain reading of scripture <laughs> seems to be to be apart from the bodies to be in the presence of the sure. Lord. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't mm-hmm. use the idiom as the controlling yes. factor in yeah. my interpretation. <clears throat> I use the straightforward literal language, yeah. which yeah. is. If I'm away from the body, I'm at home with the Lord. Yeah. So okay. falling asleep then is just an idiom. It's a euphemism for the dead body.
2: And then, and the it, jo- then the joy of final resurrection is that we are in our bodies with the Lord. Yeah. Or right that's now right. we are in our bodies mm-hmm, apart right. from Him. Then we are in our spirit with Him. Right. And then we'll be embodied spirits mm-hmm. with the Lord. And
0: that'll be the finished work that we long for even when we're in heaven. So even when we're in heaven, we will long for that finished work. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, big passage here. Holy smokes. Uh, Paul is trying to prove to the Corinthians, he's trying to argue for the doctrine of the resurrection. He's trying to say that some of you are denying Jesus' resurrection. That's crazy talk. If Jesus hasn't been raised... Then your
1: faith is in vain.
0: Your faith is futile. Why have you even believed, right? So then, in verse um, 23, if you skip down there real quick, <clears throat> he says, uh, "But each in his own order. That is, uh, for just as an Adam die, uh, just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive." But each in his own order, Christ the fruits. so Christ is the first one to be resurrected. Mm-hmm. And then afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power. Uh, so what's going to happen at the end?
1: Sounds like both like, yeah, judgment and... The full manifestation of the kingdom.
0: The full manifestation of the kingdom. Notice the next verse. He must reign until he puts all of his enemies, his enemies under his feet. 1,000 years. Yes. Yeah, for 1,000 <laughs> years. Uh, the last enemy to be abolished is death. So the last enemy that he abolishes is death. And I know William Lane Craig and others are trying to say that physical death is not a part of the curse. And I would just say, well, that's very interesting because yeah. I don't know how death became an enemy then. Yeah, how yeah. Per, how perchance has death become our enemy? If that's the way it was intended to be from the beginning, that doesn't make any sense. The so, of witness
1: of scriptures is that sin equals death, like yes, in all things, um, spiritually, physically. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, this is why God tells Adam and Eve in Genesis three, "From the dust you were made, to the dust you will return." It's part of the curse. It's uh, yeah. So anyway, um, verse twenty-seven, he says, "For God has put everything under His feet." Um, then we skip down here to verse 35, if you will, jump down there. It says, but someone will ask. This is the interesting part here. How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? When they come from where? From heaven. Um, he says, you fool. <laughs> Pretty strong language here. He says, fool, uh, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Think about it. Uh, and as for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of these seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, and the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There's a splendor of the sun another of the moon, another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another uh, in terms of splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in in, in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam, that is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, like the man of dust. So are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Pretty clear there Mm. that the glory of the resurrected body is, first of all, it's going to be like Christ's imperishable, incorruptible, impervious to disease, death, sin, temptation. And secondly, it isn't going to be like the body that is sown into the ground. Somehow it is going to be dramatically, gloriously
1: different. Mm. Um, Do you take from this that in the intermediate state in heaven, well, we have. S- heavenly bodies, spiritual bodies. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I've ever gotten that any thought. So I think I was just thinking, yeah, we're like souls flying around. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. No. I, so is that? Can I? So uh, Erickson trail? would say. Yeah.
0: Erickson would say, that is the resurrected body, but it's it's not oh, it's done. Seed form. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Can I ask a slight rabbit trail off of that? Yeah. So Enoch and Elijah, Old Testament, yes. right? Taken mm-hmm. up. To the lord um i'm assuming that their physicality was gone in that moment and they had a heavenly body yeah i don't know about <clears throat> that. well yeah i mean how do you tie that in with the, what we were talking about earlier with the holding tank and then how do you tie in with mount or the mount of transfiguration with e- elijah appearing yeah is that you know like we have Moses and Elijah all the answers, appears Jeff. with
0: with <laughs> Jesus in the transfiguration. Yeah, yeah. Right? is that
1: the heavenly body here? Is that because I, since the cross and the resurrection hasn't taken place? Yeah, were they still in the holding tank? And I struggle with the holding tank thing a little bit. But I, it makes well, sense to me. I just well, don't know what's happening. They're clear. I'm not sure about that.
0: I would say they they are clearly disembodied. Moses and Elijah. Yeah, because they
1: both, you know, are. Can they appear to be bodied like angels? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I would say, in some way, shape, or form, I mean, literally, they have some kind of form, yeah, uh some kind of form that it can appear with jesus so so in their disembodied state, yeah, they still have some kind of spiritual body that's what I think he's talking about yeah. here we're talking about their spiritual bodies there are mm-hmm. there are uh yeah. physical bodies, plural so so I think that is what he's talking about here, but the res- the final resurrected body is. That's yeah. that's the completed thing. Yeah. Like that's completed now. As far as Enoch, what did, what did you say? Enoch and Elijah. Enoch
1: and Elijah. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Yeah. I just don't know. And so I don't think we need but to. Know, but you would say, right? Because you you do hold to the Old Testament saints in the part of Hades.
0: Uh, the only reason I hold to that is because that was a Jewish belief. Yeah. And yeah, I think and I in agree. In the Second Temple, you can demonstrate that in their literature. And I do think that's, uh, I think that's the view that Jesus espouses in Luke 16.
1: And so in this moment on the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah can come out of that?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Just like Lazarus can come back from there and yeah. re-inhabit his interesting. resurrected earthly body. But then, remember that passage in Hebrews that says, It is appointing to man to die once and then Mm -hmm. the judgment. That's just Mm -hmm. a general statement. It doesn't take into account every uh, exception to the rule. Lazarus would be an exception to the rule. The 500 Mm. people that were raised by Jesus, (laughs) you know, are exceptions to the rule. They died twice. So um, Mm. Lazarus had to die again, and he's actually going to be resurrected. Yeah. Um, The thing Mm. that I don't really know... So I do think we have some kind of spiritual form, some kind of spiritual constitution. Yeah. In our disembod, we call it disembodiment, but I don't, I don't really think that it is uh, fully. It's disembodied from this body.
1: Yeah. Well, but it, as, as yeah. he
0: says here, there are many bodies. And in one spiritual sense, bodies. Like,
1: it would probably be our perfected spiritual form until it is reunited with our perfected physical. Body I think that's at what Erickson is trying to say. Interesting. Okay. He's
0: like it actually is the resurrected body that's just not complete, hmm. but it's going to be fully consummated. When those two when come together. Jesus returns yeah. and ends the age, <clears throat> this age and f- and finishes yeah. his mm. kingdom project. So I would just say I'm not sure about all that. Me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are a lot of things where yeah. we have to just be humble here, <clears throat> and say what we're looking for is we're we're expecting resurrection. So right? Was, was mm-hmm.
2: Jesus's body post resurrection his physical body or was it his spiritual body? What do you mean? At the uh, you're talking about there's a spiritual form yeah and they'll be in both right in the new creation and he's he's the first yes where those two are coming so does them. jesus have a physical body yeah. in heaven yeah okay oh for sure yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean we see that that's my route. that's my reading i mean the <clears throat> yep. the here
2: touch my hands if you look stuff. out but of the his...
1: airplane window every now and then you can i'm just messing with <laughs> <on. laughs> <laughs> you can see uh-huh. disembodied souls <laughs>
4: Yeah,
0: yeah. So um, I think uh, my personal opinion is Jesus forever will have two natures, uh, fully divine, you know, everything God is, Jesus is uh, in essence, and also uh, an embodied or corporeal state that is resurrected uh, because our, Paul seems to make it pretty clear that our resurrection is is going to be like like his, so... If, he, if he's not in a resurrected body anymore, it kind of doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm. so yes, big passage here, but clearly where we're going is we're moving toward resurrection and recreation. One more passage, Revelation 24. We'll close it with this one. Okay. Last thing that John sees in his revelation. The end of the world, beginning of the new. He says, "...then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the Word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years." So there's this idea here that even though their souls, even though they're with Christ, and even though they're consciously aware of their own existence... Mm there's some kind of life they're missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's something else that they're missing, they're not fully alive in the sense that they, do, they are not resurrected, and that's what they're waiting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coming to life means being resurrected and reigning with Christ a thousand years. So mm-hmm. we cannot downplay the resurrection. I think mm-hmm. what we're trying to say here today is the thing the New Testament mostly focuses on is our hope of bodily adoption or bodily resurrection Mm -hmm. and the new creation uh, coming and totally... um,
2: Redoing. Resurrecting this Mm -hmm. world
0: as well. That's the believer's hope.
2: That heaven is our final resting place in the sense that heaven and earth have become one. One. And Mm -hmm.
0: that's the picture in Revelation 21 and 22 is the merging of heaven and earth Mm -hmm. so that... Yes, you will spend eternity in heaven, but it will literally be heaven on earth. It will literally be the new Jerusalem coming down. That's mm. the believer's hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And any doctrine that diminishes that hope mm-hmm. is just oppression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, Man, it is false. Mm-hmm. That's the believer's hope, yeah. is eternity with God yeah. in a renewed world, a resurrected world, a resurrected body, heaven on earth. Amen. That's our mm-hmm. hope.
2: Yeah. Amen. Come, Absolutely. Lord Jesus.
1: Yeah. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Terry? Lord Jesus.
0: Yep. Okay, guys. Um, we're going to do an altar call now. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Let's any... talk about purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> any last thoughts or any last ideas? <clears throat> okay, great. Another fun discussion.
2: Love you guys. Awesome.
0: Love you guys. See ya. Thanks. Bye.